0: Hello and welcome to Forgotten Cello Music. This is episode 78. Thanks for stopping by and listening. Today's topic is France in the 19th century. Forgotten cello music. The two cellists that are in the spotlight are Franchomme and Batauchome. These are two names that are relatively unknown. Franchomme is known to cello players, especially those that are fairly serious. They might know his etudes. Some might also know his caprices. There's an interesting twist in history, at least from my point of view, regarding his etudes and caprices, which I'll tell you about a little bit later. And Batachon, I didn't even know about him until I was teaching cello after I graduated from my master's degree. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks to those who press like, who comment, um, who generally just enjoy listening to some fairly inarticulate um, episodes about forgotten cello music. Uh, Really appreciate it. And for those that go over to my YouTube channel, thanks to you as well. In this episode, I'll be doing some Uh, extemporaneous talking about my experience with Franchomme in particular, and some quotation which are fairly short from the violoncello and its history by Joseph Basilewski. To begin, speaking of Auguste Franchomme, well, This is a name that I knew from a while back, but I didn't pay much attention to it. It came in a collection of etudes that was assembled by Carl Schroeder. Or Alvin Schroeder, excuse me. Alvin is the famous compiler, apparently, from my research. Anyway, it's a set of three volumes. I uh, was I was directed to buy at least the first two volumes and I went through basically all 70, maybe 80 etudes of those two volumes and Franchomme features quite a lot in the second volume, especially from his set of 12 etudes. Now I was not directed to buy his set of etudes independently, uh, but rather just kind of, they were picked and chosen, but I did not do all of them. As I matured, and later in my undergraduate years, I went to Austria. I went in particular because I was interested in learning German and earning a, a, a minor along with my major in music. But while I was there, I sought out a cello teacher And I happened to be living about 45 minutes or so to the west of Salzburg, so I sought out a teacher, at least in the vicinity of Salzburg, which I successfully found with the help of some musical mentors there at the campus I was staying in. This happened to be a fantastic lady who was part of a string quartet, the pro Arte String Quartet of Salzburg, who recorded... Um, the complete works of Mozart, that is his String Quartets, for RCA Victor. Now when I was there, I was studying the Elgar Concerto and a couple of other things, but she introduced to me the Franchome Etudes. And this was the first time that it really conscientiously set in. In particular, there were a couple of etudes that stood out to me, and the one that stood out even more than the others was number 11 which I'm going to feature and you probably are hearing right now at least in part. Um, I will be editing this later. And it was an incredibly uh, fruitful exploration. I did end up learning I think at least eight total. There are a couple A2s that are rather strange uh, but very good if you want to figure out how to work your thumb and read a lot of flats and a lot of sharps. That being said, the batachon I do not know where I came to know him. I just, some student I think brought him in while I was teaching after I graduated from my master's degree. Now, interestingly enough, regards, in regards to Franchon and his etudes and caprices, in the Vasilevsky volume, it says at the very end of the Franchome section that the best productions are his 12 caprices, opus 7, which for pieces of that kind have every claim to consideration. Now, it's funny to me because the caprices are apparently not well known today. I presented one of them uh, to some chel- fellow cellists and they had no idea what I was playing. They, they had never heard of them. The etudes, on the other hand, I think most cellists probably have heard or at least know of the caprices. Excuse me, of the etudes. (laughs) But it just is kind of funny how history works. This book was published in something like 1898 or thereabouts. Uh, That is the Vasilevsky history of the cello. Um, And these etudes have come down as the more useful tool, I guess, in some way. Now, in regards to France in the 18th century, now, bear in mind, this is the sixth section, and France, Belgium, and Holland are all mashed together. France is given a bit of a lengthier section in the other smaller countries, uh, probably for good reason, but nonetheless, I will be focusing on two French cello players that have composed music. Here is the introduction to section number 6 of Vasilevsky's volume entitled The Violoncello and Its History. The prominent position which the French attained in respect to violoncello playing in the second half of the last century, that is, the uh, 18th century, that is, the 1700s, the late 1700s, was maintained by them subsequently. They exercised, however, with few exceptions, no real influence in Germany after the period signalized by Romberg's appearance. Now, a little uh, caveat here, if you recall, for those that have listened uh, way back when I was doing uh, the German section in the 1800s, Romberg played a vital role in how the cello developed technically, and also with regard to several um, um notations and here comes one of those notations listen up on the contrary this master influenced in a certain way that is Romberg French cello playing as appears from a remark in Baudio's school mentioned on page 104 that Romberg had introduced the use of a fourth finger or the fourth finger rather in the thumb position And then there's a particular sign and it's kind of a a zero or an o with a very short stem on the bottom almost like a balloon with a with a very short string and this is very common today Uh, we see it all over the place and is used widely as the sign that you should use the thumb. This sign, by which Romberg denoted the thumb position, also was adapted in France, where, as in other places, it had been necessary until then to use a variety of indications for it. In other respects, the aim of the French violoncellists greatly inclined in the virtuoso direction, as was the case with regard to the violin playing, whereas in Germany greater stress was laid on the more solidly musical aspect, without neglecting the virtuoso side. Now, taking up the thread again from the preceding section with France, the first to be mentioned is Auguste Franchomme. That is my best. French. And now, about Franchomme, with regard to what Vasilevsky has written. This artist, who belongs to the most important masters of his development, was born at Lille on April 10, 1808 and learned the first elements of his instrument from a mediocre teacher of his native town, whose name was Mass. In 1825, he went to the Paris Conservatory as pupil of Lavasseur, and after the latter retired from his pref- professorship, Norblanc undertook his further instruction. Franchomme's great talent developed so rapidly under the guidance of these two masters, that is, uh, Lavasseur and Norblanc, that immediately during the first year of his attendance at the conservatory, he gained the first prize at the musical competition of the pupils of the establishment. He understood how to extract from the instrument a full, sympathetic tone, and possessed with an extraordinary intonation the rare gift of an expressive and tasteful reading. He especially distinguished himself by a charming cantilena, it is easily understood that on his public appearances, he always aroused the greatest enthusiasm. Franchome filled various places successively in Paris. He at first belonged, during the years 1825 and 1826, to the orchestra of Théâtre Ambigu Comique. He then went over in 1827 to the Grand Opera, but remained there only one year. He belonged for a longer period to the Italian opera, but he relinquished this position after a few years. Instead, he established regular quartet evenings with the famous violinist Delphin a And in 1846, he undertook the cello instruction at the Paris Conservatory. He died on January 21 or 22 in 1884. His compositions consisting of a concerto, nocturnes, etudes, variations, and a variety of smaller drawing room pieces, have still some value for cello players his best productions are the 12 caprices Opus seven (laughs) and that is it that's all there is for Franchon. it it is interesting just a few comments here it is very interesting that there is zero mention of the etudes which are more used today i i guess especially if the alvin schroeder um, collection is still being used um and his his other little compositions nobody ever introduced them to me I never had heard that he even composed anything else let alone a concerto now I've taken a look at some of his little compositions and I think there's some value they're interesting a lot of times I find with these uh, lesser-known or forgotten cello uh, pieces that there's a lot of little good ideas. The kernel of idea is there, and that there's oftentimes a... how can I say this... Mm, maybe some unnecessary doodling, unnecessary noodling, unnecessary uh, virtuosity, where the virtuosity is there for the sake of it. And it doesn't have to be pyrotechnic virtuosity, it could just be a little bit of a flourish that kind of almost detracts from the, the what's being presented as the core of the music, uh, and, so, and and oftentimes it's just kind of weak writing. But having said that, I do appreciate that these composers were busy, they were writing, they were exploring they wanted to expand the the repertoire that the cello had and when they were writing the cello had such a small amount to choose from that you know it's it's hardly you can hardly blame them for uh trying and and adding to it okay now a little bit about Felix Batanchon Batanchon was born on April 9, 1814, in Paris. He frequented the conservatory of his native town and studied there under Vasselin and Norblin. Oh, they both studied under Norblin. Interesting. Who turned him out as a clever cellist? After he had worked in various ways as a solo player, he was appointed in 1840 to the orchestra at the Grand Opera. Oh, both of them were at the Grand Opera. His compositions consist of etudes, which are fully adapted to the object in view and of which several books have been published, caprices, duets, trios for three violoncellos, and light pieces of various kinds. His opus 4, which contains 24 studies, has been introduced to the Paris Conservatory. Now like I said earlier, uh, this composer, cellist, was introduced to me just because a student of mine brought these etudes in, and I, I think they must have been etu- opus 4, but I don't remember for sure. I didn't take a picture, and I don't remember what I even did with him because I think, I think I actually bought them at a later time. Um, but I have looked at his little pieces, and I even found some of the... The trios for three cellos and again there's some clever writing there's interesting writing nice ideas um there's even some things that i would say are kind of fun to play there's a set of duets that i was looking at i think it's called recreations um and you're hearing a few of those in the background they're just very short uh mostly one or two page duets and although I didn't spend a lot of time practicing them, so you hear lots of faults on my playing uh, part, I do think that there are some, uh, how can I say, there are some really interesting and pleasing elements to these duets. Um, I recorded about six of them, um, in a great hurry, and mostly on a first reading uh, because I just wanted to add a few extra pieces. Now, what do you think about the, these neglected or forgotten cello pieces over, the, over time and history? Uh, do you find any value at all in recognizing the fact that these artists were busy Contributing, they were exploring. They wanted something to add to the repertoire, something that the more cellist could perform, more options. You know, did it? Did it maybe uh, spur greater composers to write music? I mean, certainly we can cite Beethoven and Mozart taking very mediocre pieces and turning them to masterpieces. Um, it, maybe that's true of other composers. Perhaps Mendelssohn heard some of these neglected works and thought, hmm, I could write something too. Or maybe that even happened with Beethoven. I'm not actually too sure. But in general, I think there's there's some value in recognizing these um, neglected works that I guess no cellists are really performing. Well, if you are performing any of these things, let me know. Or if you know somebody else, that is. Or if you've just heard it on YouTube, for example. That'd be interesting, too. All right, well, thanks a lot. Uh, If you have any comments, go to my YouTube channel and drop me a comment. Or send me an email. I think you can find it somewhere on my Spotify channel. But if not, my email is travelingcellogroup at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and remember to play more Forgotten Cello music.